So if you've watched Big Little Lies, you know that this show deals extensively with rape and sexual assault. If these are things that are triggering to you, this is probably not a podcast that you want to listen to. Welcome back to the Big Little Podcast, where we are in our fifth episode in this marathon recording session. In case you didn't know, we've just been sitting here for hours doing this, and now we're drinking wine. So, I'm Teresa, and I'm a Jane slash Bonnie. I'm Rebecca, and I'm a Jane slash Madeline. I'm Carolyn, and I'm a Madeline slash Renata. And she's getting more and more vicious with every episode. With every sip. (laughs) Um, If you have not watched the show... Uh, for the the entirety of epi- of season one, don't listen to this podcast until you've finished it. Um, we there will be spoilers all over the place, including for episodes we're not technically talking about yet. Um, and today's recap is coming from Rebecca. So episode five is titled "Once Bitten," which implies some <laughs> violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, the episode opens with this beautiful shot of this bridge we've been seeing so prominently. Madeline uh, turns out to be dreaming about being pushed off this ledge by Renata and a slew of puppets from Avenue Q, which is both hilarious and terrifying. <laughs> And basically the show quickly reminds us with a quick cut to Nathan and Jane at the gun range that pretty much anyone on this show is capable of murder. Renata takes the drama to a whole new level when she realizes that Annabella has a giant bite wound on her shoulder, which we're kind of weirded out by when nobody noticed this before. But Renata ends up screaming something about like, this is why they call me the bulldog, while her uh, creepy husband Gordon is oddly calm and unbothered. Over at the abusive right house, Perry is skipping his tennis game so he can come home early to have sex with Celeste in the kitchen. We see a bunch more bruises on her legs. Don't think we even saw where these beatings came from, so things are clearly escalating. Over at the Mackenzie household, Ed warns Madeline not to use the downstairs bathroom. Somehow she still finds it within her to have sex with him, uh, clearly inspired by Celeste and Perry. But Chloe comes home, asks for BLT, and ruins it. We then hear about Abigail's secret project for the first time. Uh, Celeste and Madeline end up back at the coffee shop, and apparently Jane is determined to confront her rapist, even though Madeline is the one cyber-stalking dude she thinks might be him. Apparently we're supposed to believe an interior designer from San Luis Obispo could be Saxon Banks, which raises its own concerns. Uh, Jane nearly runs herself off a cliff again, which she seems to be doing a lot, and then she gets a call from the school about the biting incident. She throws her phone off the cliff, but it lands in the sand, thank God, because Jane clearly does not have enough money for a new phone. (laughs) The director of the theater show shows up and tries, uh, Creepy Joseph, tries to con Madeline into his creepy old outback and starts to demand (laughs) to know where he stands. They end up having an accident with a kid driving a truck. Madeline's fine. She refuses to expose herself to radiation of an x-ray because she doesn't want to keep the doctor's premiums down. Uh, But the Joseph is in a neck brace and in the hospital. All the significant others show up. They're asking questions, but Madeline's a pretty accomplished liar, makes some stuff up about prop deliveries and strep throat, and doesn't ask any more questions. There's a random scene of kids poking at a dead squirrel with no other context. (laughs) Perry freaks out about some Legos being on the floor and then proceeds to beat Celeste up again. Uh, She's now jumpy at the coffee shop. Jane goes on to tell us that all she knows about Ziggy's dad is that he's keen on erotic asphyxiation and raping women. Also, there's going to be a teacher's aide whose job it is to keep an eye on Annabella and Ziggy. Uh, She also tells us that Ziggy was shaking so hard when he was born that it seemed like he was angry to be alive. Celeste goes back to the therapist by herself, uh, and it's clear she's not buying her shit. 
Celeste says a lot of dumb stuff about the doctor being unethical and not being a victim. The therapist wants to know if Celeste has ever feared for her life, and she says no, but we get all these flashbacks of her getting her face stuffed into a pillow. The doc uh, keeps telling her to leave, and then we got all excited when she goes to the airport, but sadly, she's just picking up shitty Perry. <laughs> Jane's still got a gun in her purse. She's driving to San Luis Obispo to check out Saxon Baker. Uh, we see her creeping up behind him, sniffing him, and dropping her purse when she sees the gun. And the next thing you know, she's getting in her car, speeding, and getting pulled over. She also smokes a couple joints. And that's what happened. Um, yeah, as though we're supposed to believe anyone who smokes a couple of joints is going to murder anybody. <laughs> they're just going to go home. Um, so I think the beginning of this episode, and maybe the entire episode in general, is trying to convince us that Anyone could be the murderer. But I'm wondering who, like, at this point, you guys think could, is, there is the most plausible case for being an actual murderer. I mean, it still seems like Jane is being positioned to be the best candidate because this gun keeps popping up. But as we know, the gun is not what caused the violence here. So I think that, you know, more and more that's kind of seeming like a Chekhov's gun. But at the same time, Jane's behavior is increasingly erratic mm -hmm. and she's getting closer and closer to discovering the identity of her rapist i mean jane has got all the motive you know at mm -hmm. this point nobody else besides celeste really has motive to really hardcore motive mm -hmm. to murder other than jane and celeste so i think that as we get closer to the end those two are really coming into the forefront of who could possibly be the one to uh to do the fatal pushing mm -hmm. yeah and i think madeline being such an instigator I think, like, at this point, like, you kind of get her character to be just that. Yeah. Like, that she, but knowing that she's probably going to be the one who's, like, pushing the, well, in this case, pushing the pusher. Pushing the fairy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I guess, at, at, at this point in the show, I, I agree. Like, Jane is being set up, mm -hmm. but you're kind of like... I, I don't know. This is like really the point in the show where I'm like, it's anything, anyone's game. Yeah, mm -hmm. it does start to get really muddied towards the end where it feels like the show is positioning everybody to be capable mm -hmm. of violence, if not have the motive. But because mm -hmm. everyone's lives are so intertwined, it does e feel like everyone's motive a suspect. Yeah. yeah. And Madeline is such an empathetic friend. But at that, this point. that's a great plot. I mean, they got to yeah. keep you watching. Right. Mm -hmm. Hook you in. And I think when I originally watched this, I was sort of resisting the idea that it was Perry who was a murderer or even Jane because it was, those were the obvious choices. And yeah. so I thought like, would they go with either one of those people if they were going to set them up so obviously throughout the entire thing? You sound like that guy in Princess Bride who's like, that's just too, yeah, it's yeah. just too obvious, like where you're trying to out, I mean, I out definitely, the first it. watch had that, that was my guiding principle, it was like, this person's too obvious, this mm -hmm. show's smarter than that, and the second watch, obviously knowing what happened, I was a little more keyed into the dynamics mm -hmm. of what the show was actually trying to do, but that first time watching, I definitely reached episode five, six, and was like, okay, literally everybody in this yeah. messed up town <laughs> could be capable of this. So, in, uh, you know, the, the episode is called Once Bitten, quite apropos of what happens in this episode, where we get a bunch of rabid first graders, and and Amabella has, like, a Walking Dead-style bite. Like, it is not, like, a little bite wound. This thing is gnarly, and apparently no one bathed her, because <laughs> she goes, and she, it's the morning of the next day. But I guess, like, little kids, you don't, like, bathe them every day, right? 
I guess not, but no, you have to put them in like a in, in their know. pajamas or something. Someone's got to notice that this I feel like kid the has nanny's like doing it. Yeah, that's beyond might... her pay scale. She's, she's right. just like, trying whatever. to get out of here at the end of the day. She's like, I can't unpack all yeah. this with them. <laughs> so, um,. At this point, I'm just like, why is the teacher not watching these people every what minute? What is the teacher doing? Christine, what is happening? Christine, do your job. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I used to teach, like, dance classes to little kids. And, like, I, I, I would have, like, a classroom with, like, 20 little kids in it. And, you know, they were, like, moving. Like, this is a dance class. And I still would, like, bust these kids for, like... Like, I had one fucker who would pick her nose and, like, wipe it on the corner in the room. And I saw that happening. Uh -huh. So, like, how is this person <laughs> I, like, incapable of catching? And bite, biting. To bite someone like, hard enough that they would have, like... In the shoulder, which is kind of, like... That's a weird place to try and bite someone. The like, teacher, it's not the arm or the finger. Like, you have to bite someone pretty hard. Yeah. This teacher is trash. Like that. We've established this <laughs> from episode one. My biggest problem with this is, like, there are, you know, how many kids in this class and nobody else is witnessing right. this or able to articulate that one kid biting another is bad? And she yeah. can't be like... Oh well, Amabella left today with so and so. That was the only time she was out of my sight. That must have been when she got bit. So it's so. But this teacher is so hell bent that like Ziggy is right. right. And didn't they just say the last episode they were setting up a teacher's aid for the yeah. classroom for them? So it's like, what's the teacher's aid doing? Or I think is this, that, was this episode? episode? That's this episode. episode. Yeah. Okay. My bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I also feel like Gordon Renata's husband is way too chill about. Everything that's happening to Amabella. Yeah. Is he just stoned all the time so he doesn't care I think what's so. happening? I yeah. Think he's just in his transition lenses make it hard to see. So he's <laughs> he's just... like, I don't see how bad this yeah. bite wound is because of my sweet glasses. Right. Okay. I mean, I think like Renata would kind of be one of those women who just is like talking all the fucking time. So mm -hmm. he just tunes her out. Mm -hmm. Um He's and just always trying to rein her in. Because I, I don't even so... think he wants to rein her in at this point. I think he just wants her to like shut up. Yeah, I think he just wants some quiet. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, there are points where he is literally just not even... He has tuned her out to the point where... Or he is working to tune her out mm -hmm. that, like, he is missing a lot of this. So in the last episode, we learned that Ziggy is a sweet kid. The therapist doesn't think he's a bully, and she would be really surprised if he was an accomplished enough liar to fool her. And... But Jane is still wondering, like, could my kid be the psycho who's bullying this girl? I think and what? Hold on, just one minute, because the thing that makes me that makes me like, I'm like, why did she have this kid? If she's gonna feel that kind of right, like, I, I mean, yeah. having a that. child who is the product of rape is a huge decision in the first place. But then, like. You're just haunted constantly, like, wondering if this kid is a monster just like its father. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think it's her... At this point, she is just so paranoid that, like, he is just genetically predisposed mm -hmm. to violence because he has the DNA of somebody who could do something so violent, mm -hmm. and then he's the product of violence. And I, I think, like, in her... So she is just paranoid at this point. And then, I, I mean... I, I think that there is, that that is something to examine, like, why, mm -hmm. why, if she is going to feel this way, um, and I think it's interesting, I, I think that that's a, 
I, I'm a big Law & Order SVU fan, <laughs> and uh, anyone who watches that show knows that the character of uh, Detective Olivia Benson is the product of a rape, mm-hmm. and that, like, is a huge uh, kind of, like, backstory and fuels her character, and it, it is, like, what made her character want to go into being in Special Victims Unit, and it kind of changes how she approaches cases and everything like that. Uh, so it's, it makes for a very interesting way for her to, like, look at things. Uh, but it, it does, it kind of, to me, that sort of has given me this perspective of um, what it would be like to be a child who is growing up with that. Um, I just kind of wish, like, she'd had Bonnie to take her to Planned Parenthood or something, like, back in the day, because her whole life has been... Mm-hmm. derailed in so many ways by this and I mean Ziggy's a sweet kid but so how old do you think the character of Jane is supposed to be I how... have that in my notes mm-hmm. for this episode too cause because was she a teenager are we supposed to she looks like she's in her early 20s right mm-hmm. so like let's say that she is now like 25 was she like 19 at the time or maybe Absolutely. even younger? Mm-hmm. Like, is she supposed to... How old is she supposed to be? Well, let's assume she met somewhere alcohol was being served. That doesn't mean she was 21. But right. For the argument, let's yeah. say she's minimum 21. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes her 27, yeah. 28, so my age. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of Jane we don't know. We have no concept mm-hmm. of her background. We have no idea where she's come from. So, you know, who knows? She could have come from super conservative right. parents mm-hmm. or come up super conservative where, you know, abortion is not even in mm-hmm. the question. All babies are a miracle, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Insert your own bullshit reason. <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting. We don't know the background on any of these characters. True. Like, you right. don't get a sense of who any of them are. And, and I don't think... get a sense of politics on this show at all. No. Or like, you know, right. being in California, like, there is really no political leaning for any of these characters. The only thing we really get is when they're talking at the mayor's office about yeah. Avenue Q and they keep saying... Monterey is progressive, yeah. we're a progressive mayor, like, we can't have this, like, that's the only real inkling we get. Yeah. I just think that if, you know, here you are, a 21-year-old girl that gets pregnant as a result of rape, like, I would be surprised mm-hmm. if she wouldn't have an abortion mm-hmm. unless there was some extenuating circumstance that informed right. her belief system to say, like, okay, I'm going to have this kid. And then she tells that heartbreaking story of giving birth to Ziggy and have mm-hmm. him screaming, and she says, I'm just so sorry, I'm so sorry, baby. And, mm-hmm. I mean, that is one of the saddest things. Mm-hmm. And she says she kind of hopes that his face could erase the bad memories. Yeah. So maybe yeah. that's that's it. Like she that good could come out of evil. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. I think that maybe is her her motivation more so than anything else. Mm-hmm. But obviously like it's not so easy. You don't get to just erase the past because right. of the future. So Celeste is back at the therapist's office and this therapist is a hero. Like <laughs> you know so this time Celeste is getting her ass beat over Legos and because Perry doesn't want to clean up, and then there's, I don't know, weird sex happening again, and and the therapist is finally just like, this shit is bonkers, you need to move out. Yeah. Um, Celeste uses what looks to be like 14 cover-up sticks in the process yes. of covering up hundreds of bruises, because Perry quite literally compiles Legos. And that montage Legos. of her covering her bruises yeah. is... Uh, Heavy. Yes. Yeah. And she's still at this therapist saying, I'm not a victim here. I'm comp- I-, I give it as good as I get it sort of thing. The therapist and literally says, has he ever left a mark? Has right. he ever physically hurt you? And she's and like, she well, not quite. The therapist is like, girl. Yeah. I can see your cover-up doesn't match. Yeah. <laughs> Does, so what is going on here? Does she actually believe any of this? Has she been 
brainwashed into believing she really is like part of the problem or is she still just covering this up? I think that she at this point I think she was part of the problem. I think she mm-hmm. did, there were things that she did enjoy and a life that she was clinging to. I have this vision that when they first started dating, they would get into a fight and scream at each other and throw things and be like, this is hot. Mm-hmm. And then they'd go fuck. And then things escalated. And then eventually Perry became actually like crazy abusive. And she was like, oh wait, shit, what happened? And she does talk about her struggle to get pregnant. I think it's in the next episode. Mm-hmm. And that Perry was there for her through all the treatments. And then the birth was complicated and he was there for her. So I think that when an abuser does good things for you Mm -hmm. and you're so inclined to believe that there's not a world outside this person you cling to those good and then it raised the question like when did this abuse start like and how did like i agree that they Mm -hmm. could have been the kind of couple that would have little bickerings and then it kind of led to sex but then that continued to escalate but when when this when did this start? Like, how long has this been going on? Was it after the children were born? Was it after she had trouble getting pregnant? Was right. it after they were born? Was he it during all this? alludes to, when he's talking about her stress levels for going back to work for this one day, um, that, like, he's worried that she's going to have another breakdown and he's going to have to pick up the pieces. So we're led to believe that, like, at some point... Mm-hmm she had some sort of freak out and maybe that's why she really left law or agreed to leave law, which he was probably pressuring her to do. And so like maybe he was there in some way. I took that as Perry spin. Yeah. I thought that he was manipulating that conversation and, and, you know, reframing the past. Mm -hmm. I think that Mm -hmm. she was probably much more fulfilled when she had a life outside of Perry Mm -hmm. and had the law and that he's interesting. Yeah. Like, and that was terrible back then. And then he is saying that, like, you know, because not being, not wanting to have a child and not being able to get pregnant can be an incredibly stressful and emotional time. And she may not have had a breakdown per se, but he's framing it that way, Mm -hmm. as you said, in rewriting history so that she, you know, he looks like this like savior and this rock who was there for her and that she will be unstable without him. And she truly seems to believe this. It's not like she's necessarily lying well, she to did the believe this. She's she is starting to, to come out yeah. of this. But mm-hmm. yes, there she was all in. And I think in this episode the um the therapist raises the idea that like of course your kids know Celeste. Mm-hmm. They know so much more than you think they know, and of course, and I'm wondering if this is starting to um, be the foreshadowing that who the biter and the choker is in the classroom. Like, this is this when we're supposed to start to get some inkling that, like, oh, it's Perry's kids who are obviously the bullies. I honestly was feeling like it was the twins before I thought that Perry was the rapist of mm. Jane. Like, the twins, you know, clearly aren't oblivious to what's going on. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions with abuse is that the kids don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Kids always, Mm -hmm. always know when that stuff's happening. And all of their play fighting, I think Mm -hmm. from the first episode Mm -hmm. when they were shooting, and there's a scene in this episode too where Perry, Celeste, and the kids are all engaged in this really aggressive like fighting play mm-hmm. that just absolutely to me it's like well who do you think of all these kids yeah. if this is what their play is like who mm-hmm. do you think is enacting all this violence it's got to be one of right and like little boys are traditionally more aggressive and yeah. play more aggressively but we see we never see ziggy playing aggressively no. by contrast Ziggy's like playing the guitar and like yeah. singing he, sweet Ziggy songs. is like hanging out with Chloe yeah. and they're like engaged in like imaginative play and music and like running on the beach together like it's a very different way that we are mm-hmm. seeing 
Um, Celeste's reaction, too, to when the therapist suggests that the kids know is just heartbreaking. That yeah. Complete, no, he never has hurt the kids. He's never going to hurt the kids. And the therapist is like, It's like Girl. pure denial because yeah. in her heart she knows they have seen or heard things for and sure. And she knows that Perry is absolutely capable of being abusive to the kids as well. Right. I mean, it's only a matter of time before he starts hitting them. Yeah. yeah. They get a little older. They start talking back. He's going to lose her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I've got some random questions that I think we need to answer at this point. And one is, um, why do we hate Renata so much? Is it fair? Like, I mean, she's not a terrible person, really. Like, we never see her, like, we see Madeline do so much worse to people than we see Renata ever do. I I guess, like, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I... like Renata. I mm-hmm. don't really have, I don't harbor hatred for her as a character. Yeah. Um, I, I think that she is set up to kind of be this villain mm-hmm. in this show, especially in the earlier episodes. You are set up to hate this woman who is aggressive and is like, you know, overprotective and like weird with her child, like in that, you mm-hmm. know, she's dressing her like this little doll and, you know, uh, trying to find out who's hurting her especially early on when there isn't as much like evidence of her being hurt, hurt as so much as like these, these allegations. So I, I don't know. I, I think that Renata is being framed in this to kind of create this sort of diversion for mm-hmm. the viewer here. No, I'd agree with that for sure. I think Renata has been a red herring from the beginning and mm-hmm. the more the show goes on, especially in the next episode, the more we start realizing that Renata is just another victim of this same, you know, keep your skeletons in your closet, mm-hmm. keep up appearances system that is ruining the lives of all these women. And if they could all just break through that and get real with each other, they'd be able to help each other in so many productive mm-hmm. ways, which, you know, ultimately is what the season moves towards. But right now we're still just like, guys, get on the same page, help each other out. This is ridiculous. And, like, Renata's got this manic energy that I, like, I just could not be around in real life. I would just be exhausted by her constantly but when you think about what she's fighting for it's always for her daughter someone is abusing her daughter at school she's completely justified in her rage in her rage Mm -hmm. like she might be going about it wrong she might be a little annoying she might be a little thirsty for the attention of all the other mothers but like she, there is no reason to dislike Renata for trying to protect her daughter, but I think that's what we're set up to do in this Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, wh- which brings me to Bonnie again, because <laughs> I want to know if the show... It, does the show dislike Bonnie? Oh, that's a good question. Do, are the writers, do they want us to dislike Bonnie, or do they want us to think Madeline is nuts? <laughs> And is being awful to a perfectly fine human being. I think Bonnie is framed as like a a distinct contrast to these other women. I think everything about her, like the way that, like who they cast as Bonnie, Zoe Kravitz is just radically different than these other women. Mm -hmm. Just in every, I mean, she has this like undercut with her dreads. Her career is also radically different. Her career choice, like just, uh, I, I mean... Everything about her is so different. Like, she just is not trying to fit any molds. She's, like, a completely, um, you know, like we talked about earlier, that she just doesn't, she's she's cool without even trying. All these other women are spending a lot of time trying. 
Um, so I don't think that we're supposed to hate her. I think she is supposed to be different. And sometimes different can be like a breath of fresh air, but somehow her difference, but it's because like there, we do, you do get that sense with her that she is not all that different. There are parts, she is different in some ways, but at the end of the day, she fits right in with this crowd. Yeah. No, I would absolutely agree with that. I think that Bonnie, the thing that annoys me the most about Bonnie, I think the writers know what they're doing is that she pretends like she's above all of this, but there's a Mm -hmm. line when Nathan hangs up on Madeline at some point, and she goes, oh, she's going to kill you. I'm like, yeah. Bonnie, you are messy. Like, mm-hmm. you're really living for this drama in a way that you're really, you think you're above. But And I think that's what bothers me the most, is that at least Madeline is self-aware that she's messy and likes to potster other people's lives. Yeah. And is an active talker and all these things she's been described as. Whereas Bonnie is just like, oh, I do my yoga, and I drink my kombucha, mm-hmm. and I pray to Ra. And it's just like, <laughs> Bonnie. Come on now. You like this as much as anyone. You're living in this community. You're a part of this community. Like, you're really going to pretend like you're this. Well, and, like, it's... Bonnie enjoys the fact that, like, she's sexy and she knows it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and that... She feels her oats, for sure. Yeah, for sure. She was feeling herself when she was dancing at that yeah. kid's party. Getting mm-hmm. her yoga classes with mm-hmm. all the men ogling her. I mean, she knows yeah. her power is in the puss. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and you got to hand it to a woman who embraces her own sexuality mm-hmm. like that and, like, harnesses that power. Absolutely. For sure. And I think that... But that can be a very intimidating thing for a lot of other women. So. I just want her to lean into the bitch role now. Like, you, you've leaned mm-hmm. into your sex mm-hmm. role. Like, lean into the bitch. Like, if you've mm-hmm. got a little bit of bitch in you, like, that's not a bad thing. I think this show, part of what it does so yeah. well is it, it it justifies the fact that, like, it's fun to be able well, to that's, I Bonnie is going to be an interesting character for me in the upcoming second season because... Yeah. Because She's in the fold now. Right. Um, she did it. More so than anybody yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. And They're all so, protecting her. Yeah. 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 Suddenly the roles have completely switched. Mm-hmm. Bonnie's as inside as a person can possibly get. Yep. So I think that's going to be really interesting to watch that dynamic play. And I have to say, I think Zoe Kravitz, for not having a ton of acting credits to her name, is doing a really lovely job. With yeah, and role. she's got a lot of people to, you know, she's got some long legs there to keep up with. Yeah, <laughs> and she's keeping up. I mean, she really has, has leaned into this role, and I think that to watch her grow as an actress in this next season, especially, you know, with Meryl Streep on the scene, is going to be really right. fun to watch Zoe Kravitz kind of spread her wings. And I think she's got all the chops and more to... <laughs> To fly. So I want to talk about Saxon Baker slash Banks for a minute. Um, this Poor guy, Saxon Baker. He. Um, so my first question is, who would hire a straight man to decorate their house? And <laughs> is he straight? Yeah. <laughs> I think the implication by making him an interior designer, which is a weird thing, is that he's not even straight. And, and right. He not have done three piece suit is yeah. like so perfect. Right. Yeah, then, yeah. No, that man is not, and and that's. He belongs on HGTV. Yeah. That's, he's one of the property brothers. <laughs> right. But I feel like Madeline, for somebody who thinks she knows everything, is like, she does not have a gaydar. Mm-hmm. So, because, like, right. at Nor the cafe. Nor does Jane. Well, yes. But, well, but she's just believing what She's just believing, because Madeline tells her that uh, Tom, 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 who works at the cafe, is gay. Um, and as we find out, he is not. Mm-hmm. And she looks up this Saxon... At, First, they think it's Banks, then she finds the Saxon Baker, and, like, she, he's an interior designer, and his picture with his, like, pompadour and everything, she's like, this guy, he's a rapist. (laughs) Like, maybe, but probably not of Jane. (laughs) So, I I think, like, we do have to examine Madeline's ability to, uh, like I said, she just has no gaydar, so, uh, 
again, it's another one of the, like, red herrings in the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I mean, this, I, I don't know why this episode came up so short. I did not have that many things to talk about. Is there anything anyone else had, like, on their lists to There's talk about? one shot that I really, really loved, and that was of Madeline, Celeste, and Jane running. So, Jane has oh, been yeah. running by herself this whole season, and it doesn't seem necessarily, like, a very healthy habit. Like, she always comes home and seems more worked up than when she went on Now she's run. got her girls with her and information. And now she's got her girls. And there's <laughs> this beautiful shot of all three of them running down the boardwalk, which I assume is front of the cafe, and they run into... A wall, basically, a barrier, as opposed to running into the water, which mm-hmm. has been Jane's recurring mm-hmm. fear. And I think that foreshadowing of the protection of female friendship and warring against individual self-destruction through the group mentality is really, really beautifully done in that one little moment. I got that too, and I loved how it was like that they each kind of like joined her. Yeah. It was a, it was, but I just couldn't get over watching Nicole Kidman awkward jog. I know. I was like, this That's what bitch I look like has run. never run a day yeah. in her life. I related to that big time. I was like, yeah. this is sweet that she's trying. Yeah, yeah. Nicole I was like, Kidman oh, cute. Run. She doesn't have to. No. What a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for favorite quotes for this episode, I have down, I'm sure it had something to do with artistic expression, which I think was in reference to... Um, Madeline being in the director's car yes. for the accident yes. by some random Shady. talking head again. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is not really a quote at all in this episode, but it was the in that dream sequence of Renata scaring Madeline off a cliff with a puppet. <laughs> so just that like puppet's appearance is the quote that I am going to cite as the best quote in this episode. So my first one is not necessarily the best, but it was most visceral, and it was that with Celeste describing her relationship with Perry and the potential split up is like tearing flesh, and I think mm-hmm. that really sums up an abusive, codependent mm-hmm. relationship. But in terms of humor, it's got to go to, I'm not going to expose myself to radiation just to creep your premiums down, which Madeline just barks at this doctor who looks at her like, what show am I on? <laughs> oh, and it's his brilliant. face, that, that yeah. the doctor, like, he, he He's like, I thought this it. was ER. Like, yeah, and here? his little smirk where yeah. that's exactly how a doctor would respond. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so rapid fire questions. Who's the creepiest in this episode of these children? So once again, I answered Annabella and then I went on a rant where I'm like, what is it? Is it because she's got white walker vacant eyes? Is it her silence? Is it her ominously pointing finger that she just raises slowly? She looks a little like the children of the corn. I feel like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, she, this actress has got a career in horror. I've said it before. Yeah. Yeah. If I was casting a horror movie, that child would be my like number one go to a hundred percent. But I keep trying to give her the benefit of the doubt and not picking her as the creepiest. For this one, I actually picked Chloe because she walked in and, like, her attitude where she clearly was aware that she walked in in an attempt at, like, kitchen sex, Mm -hmm. she knew. And just the fact that this kid, like, she's already, she's referenced a boner. Yeah, true. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. For a six-year-old, she just seems a little too aware. Her father is Ed, so. Yeah, Apple on the tree Mm -hmm. and all that. Uh, who's the worst person in this episode? I, in my notes, I said in all giant letters, can I answer Perry? Yeah. Uh, I would say second Renata, because she barges into Jane's meeting and is just a bitch on wheels mm-hmm. about it, and is super rude. Yeah. So, I said, well, the all-drama theater director guy, Joseph. Joseph. He is, Ugh. despite being full of this drama and working in drama, he's also, like, ironically void of emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also, like... Basically, there's this quote where he kind of says, like, Madeline was asking for it. Yeah. Where he says, like, well, you're always coming into my office and sitting on my desk. And yeah. I don't know. That, I just was She's like, oh, worst. shut mm-hmm. up. And, uh, 
And then also, like, Jane for sneaking off. Mm -hmm. Like, when they were going to go as this unit, which I kind of, like, that whole running scene seemed to foreshadow. Did you guys get the sense that she went on that trip at the same scheduled day they were all supposed to go, and the other two forgot about it because they had too much stuff going in their lives? No. Or, like, she she went, like, the the day before. She She just, like, jumped the gun. Part of me was like, is she jumping the gun? And the other part was like, maybe she's just, they've all forgotten because their lives are too No, I felt like she jumped the gun. She calls Madeline and specifically asks her to pick up. Ziggy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I decided it was finally time to give this to Perry. Um, <laughs> like, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't bother to come up with other answers to some of these other questions early on, but um, yeah, I think it's finally time to the give Lego Perry the crown. One of the hardest to watch, I think, yeah. in this whole show. Mm. I mean, because you get it only in flashbacks mm-hmm. and they come in these rapid fire, like brain synapse shots. And, and yeah. you see how just much awful. worse it gets than yep. from what you You see think at first it's just him dumping the Legos. You can kind of anticipate that when he starts mm-hmm. cleaning them up, but then like the abuse that follows is just it's sickening. It's mm-hmm. really hard to watch. Uh, who's the best person in this episode? For me, it went to Nathan. One for hanging up on Madeline when she was like harping. <laughs> I was like, yes, stand up to this crazy bitch right now. <laughs> and then, but also showing up at the hospital and bringing Abby. Yeah. Like, I uh, felt mm-hmm. like that showed, yeah. you know, who he is as a father. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual violence, so this you can get help 24 hours a day yeah, by calling 1 800 656 Hope. person this episode that struck me as best, but like there was a lot of redemption that was going on. Like Ed seemed less annoying and more sincere. <laughs> Abigail was less of an angsty teen. I mean, Nathan definitely seemed like he gave a shit for once. Madeline was being a very good friend, but I think the affair technically kind of disqualifies her <laughs> for this episode. Celeste even could be considered because she's really finally starting to move Mm -hmm. towards this realization that Perry's a fucking psycho. So I think this was less of like one standout character and more like there was an improvement across the board for many different characters. I gave it to the hero therapist who is just like, she's just like, report me to the Better Business Bureau. I don't care. You're in danger. Like, you need to get out of this house. True. She's Mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, What's the best song in this episode? I went with Silver Trembling Hands by the Floating Lips. I thought that was that was that screamy, mm-hmm. ragey song. I loved that. I went with uh, Straight from the Heart by Irma Thomas. It's the song that um, Celeste is listening to, like at the cafe, like mm-hmm. staring out the window. I just think that's a great. It's that's a great song. Um, I apparently put down White Rabbit, which was actually from the last episode, so I well have no answer done. to this question. <laughs> um, who do you think this episode is trying to convince us is dead? I said Celeste, just because it mm-hmm. seemed like, you know, she was getting closer, and this show likes to, like, tease that sort of, you know, mm-hmm. people getting close to catharsis and then getting bit in the ass. Or Perry, because his time is up. That's exactly yeah. what I said. I was like, now that we know it isn't Saxon who yeah. was the rapist, mm-hmm. I really... Do we know that? Yeah. She does say, because, I think, afterwards. Yeah, because she him. hears his it, voice. But and, doesn't like, this episode You're end right, with her episode. at the... It, she runs with out. With the cops. Oh, like, and she's then, getting pulled over, and I think we're supposed to think, like, the cops are looking for her because she oh, did something. maybe. All right, well, mm-hmm. I still kind of felt so, like it was, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, true. Interesting take. It might be, but I think that, um, for me, this episode really convinced me that it might be Celeste because Perry is going to kill her because she just can't escape this ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe it's Perry because Celeste is... Um, they, there were like shots where Celeste was juxtaposed with an unhinged Jane. Yeah. Like they both were having these like 
So we know as we're transitioning from knowing that Jane, even though she's unhinged, is not going to be the killer, that Celeste is. Mm -hmm. So that was how I took that. Uh, yeah, I on the dead slash killer front, I went with Perry slash Celeste. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think this might be the episode where we where they make it look like she's glancing at the knives in mm-hmm. the kitchen and like yeah, we're yeah. supposed to think maybe she's starting to think about doing yeah. some harm. No, I agree with that for sure. Did you already answer who you think the killer is? I'm yeah, Celeste or Perry. Yeah, we are. So. What's the most enviable property in this one? For me, it was wherever Jane's running route yeah. is. Yeah. I was like, this is so much better than mine. I would definitely yeah. start running if I, well, maybe not, <laughs> but I would like to think I would start running if I lived in a place like Monterey. Yeah. And I also think the opening sequence, the dream sequence, as terrifying as that is, the cliffs and the bridge and all yeah. that is really beautiful. Beautiful. Um, in this episode, I feel like we finally get our first really good look at Bonnie and Nathan's yeah. house, and mm. we see the outside. I think she's making jewelry at the picnic table or of something. Of course she makes Classic jewelry. Bonnie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> classic Bonnie makes she's jewelry. She's being such a Bonnie. Um, and you see the trees behind her and the property behind her, and it's just gorgeous. Um, and with that, we are done with episode five. We'll see you in episode six. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual violence, you can get help 24 hours a day by calling 1-800-656-HOPE.